0: Thank you, Kitty, and thank you, Pastor Mike and Chris, and thanks to all of you for opening up your spiritual house and your place of worship to my wife and I to be able to come and share with you today. There's so much that we could talk about, so many funny church stories that I could share. We could just take, like, all day to tell you things. You would just leave here just laughing, and it might be fun and good to do that at another time, but I won't take that time now. Because uh, I want to get into the Word. Last night we had a great time together, didn't we? Wasn't it wonderful to know that in God's timing and on God's calendar, you just entered in a brand new year. This is the Jewish New Year. And last night at sunset was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That special time in God's calendar when He takes all the junk you've been struggling with And He sends it out into the wilderness never to bother you again. Can somebody give a little shout out in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Well, um, I just really want to try to say that uh, I feel a a kinship. I I, I want to just say this in a way that's not churchy. You know, so many times when you have a guest in, they spend the first ten minutes patting each other on the back. And, you know, I just want to say that I love the Way family. Thank God for them. And I feel a kinship with uh, the ministry here, and I thank God for you. I appreciate you. I appreciate the stand that you take. I appreciate the lives that you live, and I appreciate the direction that God is leading you in. I want to direct your attention to the book of Romans in a very uh, familiar passage of God's Word, Romans chapter 8. I love Romans chapter 8. It's that passage of Scripture that the Lord first... Uh, awakened my spiritual senses too as a young teenager after he baptized me in the Holy Spirit and, and helped me understand that God was on my side. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning in the brief time we have remaining. I just want to say that God is on our side and how you can know, knowing for sure that God is for you. Say this with me. I know for a fact well, I can already tell that you guys are not really into this, okay? Come on, say with me. I know for a fact that God is on my side. You know, some people get mixed up. They, they can't figure out which of the, the analogies or metaphors in the Scripture apply to them. Well, is the Lord, is Jesus my Lord? Is, is He my Father? Is He my friend? Why, I mean, what is He? Well, He's all those I mean, God is not one-dimensional. You are not one-dimensional. God is your Father, and you are His son and daughter. Jesus is your Lord, and you are His bondslave. slave. Jesus is your older brother, the Lord of your father's estate. Jesus is your friend that sticks closer than a brother. Why can't He be all of those? Amen? So when we read the Scripture, we have to ask ourselves, how is He speaking to me now? Is He talking to me As a father talks to a son? Is he talking to me through the person of Jesus as an older brother, reminding me of my responsibilities uh, as a co heir of the estate of our father? Or is he talking to me as a Lord would his servant? Or is he talking to me as a friend would talk to a friend? Uh, and, And we just have to ask ourselves those questions and no. Or is he talking to us in all of those senses? And this is one of those scriptures in which God is speaking to us in all of those relationships. When God as a Father speaks to us, He is for us. When Jesus, the elder brother of our Lord's estate, is speaking to us, He is for us. When Jesus is reminding us that we are friends, He is for us. There is no situation in which God is not on your side. Amen? The question is, not if God is on your side, but are you on God's side? So in Romans chapter 8, I just want to share a few Scriptures with you beginning at verse 28. And I've got the King James Version not because I prefer it. It's just, I, just, I don't know, it's fall and I always like my wife's green Bible in the fall. So I just grabbed it and so there you go. Verse 28. And we know, in fact, you, you can read this with me, whatever version you have. And we know that all things... In fact, let's read it from the NIV. That's what's on the screen. Let's all have... Let's be in order here, alright? Let's just read this together. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now let me pause here. How many of you know He's talking about you? Raise your hand if you know this. Yeah. Anybody in doubt today? Okay. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, a lot of times we get caught up in these words like you're fishing in a uh, shallow river with a lot of weeds and we just get all snagged up. But just this verse just simply means that God knew all this stuff ahead of time and knew you ahead of time. And because He knew you ahead of time, He predetermined that you will eventually be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That's all that means. Next verse, if you would please, sir. Verse 30 says, or, um, yes, verse 30. Can you go to verse 30 for me? And those, thank you, those He predestined or predetermined, that's us, He also called. Remember in one place Jesus told His disciples, You didn't call me, I called you. What does that mean for us today? God is the initiator of this relationship that we have. You might have called on the Lord and received salvation, but it was the Holy Spirit that drew you to see the need to call on the Lord. This whole thing has been initiated by God's grace. So those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. You know what that means, right? He makes you justified, never sinned. Justified means that you're right with God. So those He called, He justified. And those He justified... He glorified. Now we we get hung up here again because we think He's talking about future tense, but He's not glorified. That's past tense. He foreknew you. That's already happened. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. And He glorified you. Did you know you are glorified? You are glorified. You say, what do you mean? I'm not glorified. I'm having a bad hair day. How can I be glorified? We think glorified means what's going to happen to us when we get to heaven. Oh, make no doubt about it, there will be a great glorification that takes place then. But you are... He has beautified the meek with salvation. You are glorified right now. You are beautiful in the sight of God. Do you understand that? When you you understand how God sees you his precious daughter when you understand and know that that you are a son or a daughter of God it changes everything about your relationship with God we no longer worship from a position of desperation we worship from a place of celebration and joy because we are confident confident that we are now glorified you are glorified how can it be that i am glorified You are God's child, and that's what that means. Knowing all these things, he says in verse 31, what can we say about it? What is there left to say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question. We know this scripture. Just say it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go on, if you would, brother, to verse 32. I appreciate your help back in the sound booth. Verse 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hey, if he, when we were in our sins, if he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, do we think for a moment that now that we're in the family, he will not give us whatever we ask and need in his name? Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? In other words, okay, so some people aren't going to like this fact. Well, this Scripture basically says, big deal. Who can lay a charge against you? Who can lay a charge against you as a child of God and impugn your divine spiritual character and nature nobody can because it's god that justifies so if god justified you remember we just read god justified you he foreknew you he predestined you he called you justified you and glorified you if god has justified you who's going to argue with that he is the judge of the whole world and in fact some christians fear the day of judgment before the lord but remember the bible says if we would judge ourselves we will not be judged with the world We live day by day knowing that God has justified us, made a judgment about us that we are righteous. Amen. Can you say with me, because Jesus went on the cross and rose again, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Verse 34. Who is He that condemneth? In other words, He's looking around the courtroom now and looking for an accuser. Where is the one that condemns you? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It's just now starting to get good. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, it's really interesting because he starts this out as a who, as a person, and he answers the question in a what. But if you really understand what he's saying here is he's talking about the spiritual forces that are behind these experiences. That's why he says, who? So in other words, there's a demonic oppression that comes on people of tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, so who can separate us from the love of God. The demon of tribulation can't separate us from the love of God. The demon of distress can't separate us from the love of God. The demon of persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, they can never separate us from the love of God. Verse 36, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What in the world does that mean thrown in there? That just simply means that in the eyes of the world, it seems like we suffer persecution. And there are times even when God's people do suffer hardship, which we're going to look at in just a second. But verse 37 helps us out. Nay, even in these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Now, I know you're saying with me, I love this Scripture, but i got to be honest with you, Ken. There's some parts of it that have me a little hung up. I just don't fully get it. Verse 38 says... <clears throat> For I am persuaded. In fact, read this with me. I want you to stand up and read it just like you believe it. I mean, I want you to give the devil a, a black eye and a sore tooth. Are you ready? For I am persuaded. Now, you've got to be persuaded now. You can't go, For I am persuaded. You have to be persuaded, okay? Are you with me now? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Now hang on a minute. Remember, he's not talking about. And the experience of death or the experience of life because we know that life is a spirit, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and death is a spirit of death. He's talking about the spiritual forces behind these things. Okay, one more time. Get your still going. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what the best part of that is? The words, be able. It talks about all of the spiritual action against you is fruitless. Every spiritual attack against you is fruitless. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You may be seated. Verse 31 says, That God is for us. Let's go look again. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? That's the question that's asked and it deserves an answer. And today I hope to inspire you by reminding you that God is on your side. But first of all, I want to remind you, I won't mess you up if I preach out of my phone, will I? Is that okay? I just preach out of my phone because then I always have it with me and it's easier to do that. And I am 60. I turned 60 on my birthday just uh, back in May. This is where you're supposed to say, but you look so young. You guys missed your chance. You know that, don't you? All right. John 16.33 says this. It is normal. It is normal for us to experience trouble Let me read John 16, 33 for me. Somebody go there, find it, stand up and read it. John 16 and verse 33. You found it right there. Thank you, brother. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It is normal to experience trouble. I know Christians that every time something happens that's not good, you know, you... you, uh, it's a spiritual attack, it's warfare, it's the devil. No. Sometimes it is. Most of the time it's just the nature of this world. The world, hey, we live in a fallen world. Not everything that happens is a cosmic attack against you. Dallas Willard, the a great Christian philosopher said if our problem is always cosmic, we will never win this battle. If our problem is always a principality or a spiritual power, we'll never win those because we can't see them. We can't identify them. and, And it's very subjective. So we have to understand that Jesus said, look, in this world you will have trouble. I love the last part. It says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When you get inside the language of that and you look at it, this is how it comes out. Look. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry. It can do you no lasting harm. Wow, man, I love that, don't you? It might hurt you a little bit on the outside, because though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. You may have to go through some things on the outside that are not real pretty, you know. I mean, I know we Christians are, are caught up by lot with the whole idea of... of Earthly success and beauty and, you know, we're suckers. We're, we're mesmerized when somebody looks beautiful and has a lot of stuff and fits the role and they say they're a Christian and they're an actress. and th- That's great. I don't have any problem against that. But you know what? Sometimes you and I both know we don't feel like God is for us. Now I want you to be honest with me. How many of you have ever felt like God was not for you? Come on now, be honest. Now, in your knower, you knew God was for you, but you felt like in that moment that you wondered if it was really true. Come on, be truthful. If you ever had a moment where you wondered, is God really for me? Raise your hand. Yeah. Now, you know, you know, it hurts you to say that because you've been, it's been ingrained in you to know that God is for you. So, you, you know, you don't want to say, oh, I don't want to say that because now God will really be mad. No, wait a minute. God's good. He's not that insecure and He's not going to get that worked up at you. So, He loves you. He cherishes you. And you're going to have trouble in this world and sometimes we just have to accept the knowledge of it, but along with it we accept the understanding that it can do us zero permanent harm. Whatever this world can throw at us, it has no lasting effect on you. Not only is it normal for Christians to experience trouble you're going to experience trouble. If you're in a good role right now, you might get a toothache another day, right? You might you know I, I could tell stories, you could tell stories, we've all had trouble, and we will have trouble. If we're looking for, if we believe that we will have a a life without trouble or without trial, we're just disillusioned. That's not biblical Christianity. When bad things happen, God's not doing them to us. How many of you know that? How many of you are convinced when bad things happen, God isn't doing that to you? You know, there is a a variation of Calvinism which says when bad things happen, God did it and He's going to get the glory out of your suffering. I read in the Bible where it said, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights that doesn't get in a bad mood quickly and change his mind and want to smack you upside the head. That's just not your God. God is a good God. Amen. And we know that He is for us. Can you say amen to that? Could you just join me right now and just lift your hand and say, I know that God is for me. Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. So it's normal. To experience trouble. The reason I'm reading this is because I haven't preached this anywhere else, okay? I've referred to some of these points, but I put this together for you. Number two, it's helpful for us in our troubles to remember the 28th verse of Romans chapter 8. That in all of these things, and even in our trouble, God is working these things together for. Our good. God's definition of good is as good as it gets. You know, you can go to a Sears store and find Sears good, better, and best, you know. But God doesn't have... Yeah, I'm old. That's an old thing if you were around for Sears. God doesn't have a good, better, and best. They called Jesus good master and He said, You call me good. He said, so you assent by calling me good that I am from God because there is none good in the earth. So God, you know, we say God is great. Great is just a, a way of describing the goodness of God. In God's language and in God's way of doing things, nothing is better than the goodness of God. We are going to believe until we see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. So the greatness of God supports the idea of the goodness of God. So it's helpful to remember that God works everything for the good. Now, not only in this world will you have trouble, as you will, God has promised that it will do you no lasting harm. And second, He has promised that not only will it do you no lasting harm, He's going to make it work out for the good. In other words, He's going to turn those guns back on themselves. And He is going to work the trouble out for your good. Finally, it is amazing that Paul could make such statements considering the troubles of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in which he reminds us of his trouble in hardship, stress, beatings, imprisonment, riots... Forced manual labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. Having faced those things and reiterated them over and over and over again, he could say with boldness, I know God is for me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. God works all things together for my good. He loves me and He's going to take care of me. The, the greatest New Testament book about joy was written while Paul was in prison in which he reminded the people that they had every reason to rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. How many of you now know or you're, you're, you really believe what I'm saying? You, if you really believe what I'm saying, I want you to wave at me and say, okay, you made your point, Ken. I believe that God is for me. Alright, just hang on a minute then. Still, Paul could say, if God is for us, who could be against us? In your struggles, remember three things. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, I want you to write these three things down, if you will. I gave a lot of thought to how I wanted to say these three things, so I'm going to read them as God gave them to me, or as I believe the Holy Spirit inspired me to say them, because they helped me. And I hope they help you. Now, sometimes when I preach, I'm like a... Um, machine gun. I'm just preaching so fast and, and I'm sweating and I'm knocking people down and it's revival time. But you know what? It's Sunday morning and you were here last night and you got the victory and, and that's all good. And besides, you know, I I don't want to do that right now. So I'm just going to give you... I believe you're, I believe that you're, you're spiritual and you're smart. And if I just share with you what God put in my heart, you'll get the language, the sense of it, and it'll minister to you. I believe that. So I want you to listen to it. Number one, when you are faced with trouble, when you are faced with difficult circumstances, number one, remember your heavenly perspective. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, God reminds us that He already raised us up and made us to sit with Him in heavenly places. Now, you came in here today. I'm going to ask you this. How many of you are sitting in the general area of where you sat last week when you came to church? Can I see your hand? How many of you are sitting in the general area where you sat last week? In fact, how many of you have really your favorite seat in church. Can I see your hand? Yeah. Some people have their favorite seat. I've been, I've been in churches where I was certain that people chose their seat because they came in and figured out who they did not want to sit beside and went somewhere else. I'm sure it wouldn't be that way here. But the Lord spoiled us in this sentence because He's given us a picture that God is on His throne. Imagine this, that God is on His royal heavenly throne and Jesus has been placed at His right hand according to the Word of God. Right? The book of Philippians said that because Jesus learned obedience to the things that He suffered, He was exalted to the highest place He was made to sit down at the right hand of the Father. He took upon Himself the form of a servant and became like a man. The beauty of incarnation. And because He was faithful, He was elevated to the highest place. Say this with me. The highest place. When He says this, He's saying there's no higher place. high equals dominion authority goodness there is no higher place in all of creation than the throne of God and Jesus was elevated to the highest place which is in the throne of God at the right hand of God now some people think that there are three thrones a throne for the father a throne for the son and a throne for the holy ghost yes don't find that in scripture We serve one God. We serve one God. Our God is one. And in God's great big throne, Jesus, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, had a job to do, he took on the form of a servant, came down, completed his task with faithfulness as a servant of his father's estate and was made heir over all things. The same Scripture in Romans chapter 8 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ even though we may have to suffer a little bit in this world. We will reign together with Him and are indeed doing so even now. The fact that we are seated I'll read this with me. And hath. All right, that's King James. I mean, I, I don't normally read the King James, but I just did today because I had that Bible. And hath. You know, it just means and has. God has raised, and God raised us up. Say that with me. And God raised us up. I want somebody to argue with God right now. Somebody who really thinks that God didn't really do this. I want you to argue with God and Paul. Is there anybody here that would say, no, that's not true? God didn't raise me up and sit me down in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. No, He didn't do that. You're not going to say that because, number one, you don't want to get struck with lightning. Number two, you know it's true. Even though you've chosen your favorite place in church, God chose a seat for you. And it is in God's throne, God's great Throne. You understand that God is on His throne and Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven and sits in His throne with Him on His right hand. The right hand is His hand of power and Jesus, when He rose from the dead, the Bible said He went into the depths of the earth. And Ephesians 4 said, He led captivity, those who were captive in the earth, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men and He ascended down and He sits at the right hand of the Father and He's got you in the train of His garment. Does that mean anything to you this morning? Do you understand that wherever you sit in church, what matters most is that you're seated with Jesus right now in heavenly places. So when you're going through trouble, don't pray from the perspective of the trouble. Well, Lord, here I am down here in this world. Lord, you see what I'm going through down here in this world. You know, Lord, I live in Charlevoix, Michigan, and you know the trouble I have down here in Charlevoix, Michigan with these people in my life in Charlevoix, Michigan. Hey, you're not praying reality. You've been glorified. Do you know that you've been glorified? The Bible says you've been glorified, and this is how He did it. He raised you up. How many of you said, I believe Jesus is Lord of my life, and I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? Can I see your hand if you've ever done that? Well, you know what? When you did that, Jesus gathered you up and sat you down at His right hand right along with the Father. And He sat you down. Now that doesn't happen when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. He gave you a new place to pray from. So now you don't have to pray from your position of human weakness and inability. You pray from the throne of God. That's why we can go before Him with such boldness because we're already there. Lord, as I'm looking down on my problems... Ah, different perspective. Everybody look at your feet. Just imagine now, just look at your feet. Just imagine that all of your problems are underneath the soles of those shoes. Because according to Scripture, even though you feel the impact of it... Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that God does not want you to experience your humanity... God made you a human being. In fact, in the Old Testament He said, I'll take a cold stony heart out of you and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a human heart that's able to feel. Jesus came and felt what we feel and grieved like we grieve. Yeah, right, right. But He didn't let it dominate Him. You understand that? I want people to like me, but I'm going to be okay if they don't. I want people to treat me nice, but I'm going to be okay if they don't. I want everything to go my way, but I'm going to be okay if it doesn't. I want everybody to like my preaching, but I'm perfectly fine if they don't. I want everybody in the whole world, saved and sinners alike, to approve of what I do and to give me opportunity. I want to grow in favor with God and man, but I'm perfectly fine if it doesn't work out that way. You know why? Because I'm seated at the right hand of Father in Jesus Christ, my Lord. I am in Him because Jesus prayed, John 17, that we would be one in Him as He was one with the Father. And I guarantee you, Jesus' prayers get answered. He prayed that we would be one together and one in Him, and I am seated with Him in heavenly places. I am seated at the right hand of the Father, and God will never leave me, and He will never forsake me. Can I tell you what? There's only one reason why you need to fast, and that's if you lost, if you have lost your sense of the presence of God. You remember when uh, the Pharisees came and they said, "How come the the disciples of John the Baptist have to fast, and your disciples?" don't have to fast. And Jesus said, well, that's easy. Bridegroom's with them. There'll be a season when the bridegroom will be taken away. In other words, when he would go to the cross. And then they're going to fast. Fasting is a natural result of the experience of when you feel like you have lost your personal sense of God's closeness. Fast, I'm telling you, if you fast breakfast, you'll get it back. It doesn't take long because he's not far away. Okay? There are many more scriptures to support feasting than there are to support fasting. The Bible tells us that God has accomplished the purpose of the fast and through Jesus Christ. So get this, if you fast, Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The bridegroom is with you. There's no need to fast. If the bridegroom is with you, what is there to fast about? want God to do some things. Who do you think you are? You're seated at the right... Father, you don't have a need or a right to try to get do things. You are there so that you can pray. See, you, Jesus said, the things I do, I do not do of myself. I do what I see my Father do and I say what I hear what my Father say, which is easily done if you're seated at His right hand. So when you're in prayer and in worship and you get a sense about what God's will is and you begin to pray the will of God in the situation that's underneath your feet. You see what I'm saying? We let our situations get up into our emotions and get up over our head and dominate us, and get into our marriage, and they get into our money, our situations get into our relationships with our kids, and and it becomes very personal, and, and, and it becomes something that we wrestle with. That's a, the Bible says, look, you don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's not a people problem. These things are under your feet. No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper because it doesn't have that kind of, of range. You know, I don't know how you feel about bombing Syria. This is not a political sermon. But I, was, I heard an interview the other day in which... You know, they said to the president, they said, well, what happens if, if we bomb, you know, do specific targeted strikes in Syria? Won't they bomb us back? And he said, no, you know, they don't have anything that can reach us. You know, I scan, sorry. You know. Here's what I want you to know. The devil doesn't have anything that can reach you. It just doesn't have anything that can reach you. So go ahead and bomb him in Jesus' name. He doesn't have anything that can reach you. Do you think for a moment that the devil has anything that can ascend to the throne of God? You're seated in the throne of God. Did you know that? The devil doesn't have anything that that has that sort of range. So when you look at your feet and you say, Oh my God, the problems that I'm facing, number one, they're underneath my feet. I remember my heavenly perspective. Number two, remember your spiritual potential. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we are not only in heavenly places, but since we're there he has blessed us with all manner of spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms so he didn't just take us up to heaven and sit us in the right hand on his right hand and say okay now sit here and be a good boy while i do my stuff he gave you every spiritual blessing that heaven has he gave it to you it is yours right now to use and to enjoy. You have, consider this, access to the blood of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? You have access to the name of Jesus Christ. You have access to the mind of Christ. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said in in, uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 1, he said, listen, he said, who knows the things of a man except the Spirit that is in a man? And who knows the things of God except the Spirit of God? An eye has not seen, an ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has laid in store for them which believe. How many of you think He's talking about heaven when we get to heaven? Wrong. Next verse says, But we have these things revealed to us because we have the mind of Christ. Being in this position at the right hand of the Father knowing that the devil is trying to call us into a skirmish, we have authority over the things that the enemy is trying to throw our way because we're at the right hand of the Father and we have been blessed not only to be seated there, but with every blessing in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me ask you, is there anything left out of every? Does anybody have anything that they can say that's left out of every every spiritual blessing, healing, deliverance, peace of mind, unity, hope, joy, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost? God made a decision to give those to you. I See, what the devil wants to do is he wants, he wants to remind you of the words of a real sappy country song about all the problems that are going on And all the struggles and all the woe, and remind you of the failures of your past and all the struggles that you've had and all the ways you failed when you didn't know you were seated at the right hand of the Father, and get you caught up into that. And if you can begin thinking that way and thinking that, well, I'm just a nobody and I screwed up so many times, I messed up so many times, I'm going to mess up again, and I may as well just forget about it and give up. Oh, wait a minute, stop. You're not in your right mind. You need somebody to get a hold of your shoulders and say, get in your right mind. Your right mind is that you have been raised up to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Don't forget it that you don't have to pray from the middle of your problems. You pray from the right hand of God. Don't you ever forget that you are a son of God, a friend of God, a son of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you pray in the Jesus and declare the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil trembles and backs up, his guns away and goes home because no weapon that is formed against you has the ability to prosper. Now I'm your mind with this last one. Remember I said number one, remember your heavenly perspective, number two, remember your spiritual potential. Anybody write those down? What was number one? Number one is remember only perspective. Number two is what? Number three, remember God's secret plan. It's found in 2 Corinthians 17. God has a secret plan. How many of you have ever been the boss of anything? You have been the boss of anything? How many of you have ever had anybody work? How many of you have ever had anybody mow your lawn? What? Have you people never had children? <laughs> you better start having children or you're going to diminish rather quickly. You... How many of you have ever told you to do something and they obeyed you and did it? Yeah. How many of you have ever had authority over anything? All right, let me ask you this How many you ever watched Duck Dynasty? Yeah, it's getting better. You ever see when old uh, Phil. Gets the grandkids over there and he's teaching them lessons and getting them to do things. And it just, oh no, you know, I'm coming over to Phil's house, and, you know, because he has me doing all this foolish part. Right, get this verse of Scripture. This is amazing. This verse tells us three things. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay. Now I want you to put word in the King James Version for me. Can you do that? Can you put that up in the King James formulary? Up in King James formulary? Verse verse 17? I want somebody to read this. Somebody that's now got it. Read this for me. You read it. Somebody read it out loud. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of affliction? Okay, wait. So you're telling me. The fact that Paul was in prison for labor to death, fasted, had a whip, snap, shipwrecked. He was a mess. and was lucky. In the middle of all that, he could say, but our light affliction, which is what? Listen, listen. The stuff you're going through. Get it all together. If you could gather the stuff you're going through, have ever gone through, will ever go through, if you could gather it all together. Now, I'm not making light of the fact there are people with severe physical illnesses. I'm not making light of the fact people who have lived through horrific abuse and pain. Not at all. I'm not disregarding that. I'm speaking to a Sunday morning service of people who need to be reminded that God is for you. And we've all suffered. It have been very difficult in the making light of any of that. Not at all. But if you could take it all and then line it up next to God's eternal plan for your life, this is what Paul says. Number one, he says that our trials are comparatively trivial. Our light, affliction. To everything else that God has given to you, to the Father, receiving every spiritual blessing. It is relatively trivial. Number two, your trials are to be temporary. You've been given everlasting life, but your trials are temporary. Blight, trivial. They're temporary. Third. I just got you with me in this, okay? They're they're temporary for you. Do you see that right there? This is why you want your trials. This is why, I said, my brethren, it all joy when you fall into trials, because what just happened? You just got a bunch of. Look, our trials are working for you. Just go to the middle of that verse. Worketh for us. What are they working for? They are making for you. Is my microphone dying out? Your trials are working for you. This is the same word that is used in Romans 8.28. For I know that God is working for All things together for the good. Working. He's working. He's working. You ever see a woman or a man, a chef, a cook, kneading bread, working the bread? You ever see a gardener working with the soil? In other words, the gardener has his hands in the soil. The chef, the baker, has his hands in the dough. The massage therapist has his or her hands working the muscles in the back. Are you with me? Your temporary and trivial afflictions, no matter how big they get, are at work for you. In other words, God has His hands in them. He didn't make them happen, but because you are His, the moment they began to trouble you, God, like a master chef, like a massage therapist, like a master gardener, got His hands "...on them and made them go to work for you." Your trials are working for you and creating a much greater exceeding eternal weight of glory. So in other words, if you could take all the weight of all the trials and all the problems that you could imagine... And you could pile them up here, because this is a comparative verse, and you could compare it to the positive result that is going to come out of them because God has designed them not to work against you, but to work for you. You couldn't even begin to compare between those two. The damage, the little bit of damage that all this trouble can do, cannot even be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in you. And you know what's bringing that about? The fact that you are not letting this trouble scare you off. You have not taken the philosophy, uh, the secular philosophy of the world, which says, well, why should we serve the Lord? Because other people get rich and they don't serve the Lord, and other people don't have trouble and they don't serve the Lord. Well, you need to get out of your tunnel vision. There are all kinds of Christians and sinners that prosper and all kinds of Christians and sinners that don't prosper. We're not talking about that. We're just saying that we have an eternal perspective and God has promised us this, that if you'll understand that you've been made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer, it's been given to you. He has opened up to you all the storehouse and the riches of His mercy. Then you need to understand that these afflictions, some of them seemingly very severe when viewed from an earthly perspective, but when viewed from a heavenly perspective, they are trivial and temporary And they are going to work for you. They do not have the ability to sink your ship. The trials that you're facing simply are not able to defeat you. It's the devil's job to make you think that they have the ability to overwhelm you. But God has promised that if you love Him, he is able to do, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, superabundantly beyond all that you could ask or even think according to the power of God that is at work in you. I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then I want you to join me in the front if you can answer these questions in the affirmative. If given the choice today, how many of you would rather stay in your seat that you chose today at church? Or would you rather sit at the right hand of the Father along with Jesus? If you'd rather sit at the right hand of the Father along with Jesus, why don't you forsake the seat you're sitting in and come and join me here in the front? If you believe that God has given you a seat to sit in at the right end of the Father. Come on down and join me in the altars. And, and it would help if when you come down, if you had a smile. That, that would let me know that you actually believed what I'm preaching here a little bit. All right. I have people say to me all the time, man, I just can't wait until we begin to see the dead raised and the lame walk and the blind see." And uh, and I say, well, you know what? That's all good. I want to see those things too. First of all, I just want Christians to understand that they're seated at the right hand of the Father and that they're blessed with every spiritual blessing through Christ Jesus. Amen? Can we start there? The people that are always groaning about, like, we never see the blind with our eyes restored. What about people? I don't know if God gives miracles today because I don't see any dead being raised. Well, can we start with the fact... That you are raised above your problems in Christ Jesus? Can we start there? Let's start with what we know. Amen? Let's start with the knowledge that you are seated in heavenly places. What would you do? What would you do if Jesus walked down here in person? And he said, hey, hey, look, man, I, I want to slip you away past all these people. We're going to slip out the back door and get you in my heavenly limousine. We're going to go on over to a special place to get in my heavenly jet. I'm going to take you off. You're going to sit right beside me, okay? You're going to do this, just you, okay, just you. You'd be pretty excited, wouldn't you? You wouldn't ask anybody's permission, would you? No, That's it, you know. But that really did happen. Really, you are you, right there. Did you know right there where you are. you are? You're seated right next to Jesus and the Heavenly Father. You are so close. That nothing, the Bible said, you're so close, nothing can separate you from Him. The proximity, let me do this with my wife. My wife, come here forward. I don't want to do this with another woman or people will gossip about me. I don't want you to gossip about me. You know, God uses the picture of a marriage because the union that they share together is so close. That nothing can get between them. You can sit so close to the throne of God, so close to the right hand of the Father. Oh, man, I bet I have to do a lot of things to be that spiritual. No, it doesn't depend on you. It's done for you. God did this. He raised you up. Say this. He raised me up. He raised me up. Many of the things we're praying for, Jesus has already done. He raised you up and caused you that word is so important in its context. He caused you to sit. He, he got you by the hand and He said, Here, sit down. Now, here, sit down. He made it. No disrespect intended. His, here's, here's, here's what He's trying to say is, we are always trying to fix our own stuff, aren't we? We are very responsible... Michiganians, Michiganders, we have a strong work ethic. We want to make it work out. We don't want anybody to do it for us for a freebie. We want to be able to say we work that thing out by our own ingenuity and the sweat of our own brow and the work of our own hands and we're good people. And God says, come here, sit down. Sit down and let me bless you. But I want to do something for this. Sit down and let me bless you. But Lord, I just sit down and let me bless you. But I want to say, I'm going to make you quiet just like I had to do Zacharias. I'm going to make you not be able to say a word if you don't hush. Because sometimes we don't know what we should pray for like we should, but the Spirit has to just simply groan out of us. Groan out of us. And when the Holy Spirit begins to pray for us, He reminds us that God is searching the hearts of those who pray and He is seeing the mind of Christ, and He is fulfilling the will of God in your behalf. Oh, it would be better if we would come to the place of prayer and I say anything I sit down and just get a picture of you sit right next to the Father. So I love you, Father. You do no sacrilege to do that. In fact, you do a great injustice and disservice and sacrilege to God by thinking that you can fix your stuff. You can't fix your stuff. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to be able to pay this month's bill, maybe. Let me tell you how far-reaching your abilities are. Okay? You're going to to be able to get through the day, and tomorrow you're going to have to take another shower. You're going to stink to high heaven. That's how far-reaching your abilities are. You're going to eat this morning, and by this afternoon you're going to be starved. If you didn't eat dinner or lunch... Joanne, you know, we'd all be hungry. By the time dinner came, if we didn't eat, man, I've got to get something to eat, I'm stuck. That's how far-reaching your abilities are you're going to pay your bills this month because it's a monthly thing and it's due and next month, you know what? It's going to come again. That's about as good as it's ever going to get for you. You're going to get your kids through college if you're fortunate and get them married and pay those bills and maybe help them with their and your student loans for the next 15 years. That's how far-reaching your ability is. But God raised you up. Do you get it? He raised you up. God, who is able took you by the back of your scrappy neck and raised you up and made you sit down in His house and said, sit there, sit there and reign and rule with Me. What business do you have of trying to believe for a moment that the things that the Satan throws at you have the ability to reach the throne room of God? My God, they they, they can't get into the throne room of God. The only way that they can really affect you is if you get restless and get out of your seat and go back down and try to fix them for God. Sit down in the presence of God and let God work for you. That's what He said in His Word. Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think, oh, Pastor Mike, I've run into a problem. and Man, we've got to do something. And Pastor Mike says, no, we don't. We don't need to make it worse. We don't have to do anything. Here's what we need to do. We need to remember That God in His goodness, when we were yet in our sins, gave up His only Son for us. And if when we were yet in our sins, He gave up His own Son, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Let's just sit down here next to the Father in the name of Jesus. And let's just remember what we were told. And let's let God fight this battle for us in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? We want to take communion this morning. And we want to do this as a symbol not only of the fact that Jesus died for us and rose again. But we want to do this as a reminder that you are the body of Christ and we have been placed at the right hand of the Father. It will also make you think twice before you do some of the stupid stuff you do if you remember that you're seated at the right hand of the Father. Pastor Mike, did you enjoy this message? Was it helpful for you? Did anybody learn anything? Can I see a hand? How many of you would rather be seated at the right hand of the Father than in the middle of your mess trying to figure it out. And how many of you know you don't have to do anything to get there except just say, okay, Jesus, would you lift your hands with me and say this, Father, I say yes. I will sit down by you. I believe the Word. I believe what you've said. And I'm going to let you bless me with every blessing in Christ Jesus. Amen.